I'm Shelley Schlender. And I'm Kendra Kruger. And this is How on Earth for Tuesday, November 4th, 2014. Coming up, we'll get a sneak peek at this weekend's Front Range Bioneers Conference. And we'll talk with Timothy Shokley about how to analyze when a green environmental group is mainly just after the green of money. We begin with a look at some of the recent news in science. You're listening to the song of a little brown bird called the hermit thrush. The song is well-loved among humans as a twittery sort of birdie thing. Now scientists at Duke University analyzed it in ways that indicate this little bird follows the same formulas for mathematical relationships that govern our human musical scales. One key to how they figured this out is that they slowed the songs down. So it sounds sort of like a mysterious flute thing, but also so it's more possible to hear the spaces between the notes. Let's listen to this example. That's a hermit thrush's song, Slowed Down. The Duke researchers contend that their new study provides the most rigorous empirical evidence to date that some songbirds make use of the same mathematical principles that underlie Western and many non-Western musical scales. They add that when it comes to making beautiful music together, there might be convergence between human and animal song cultures. A Finnish study has identified two genes associated with violent crime. The study, published in the journal Molecular Psychiatry last week, looked at the DNA of 900 criminals. Each criminal was categorized as violent or nonviolent. The association with the two genes identified was strongest for 78 criminals with an extremely violent offender profile. These 78 committed a total of over 1,000 violent crimes. All of these were more violent offenders carried a version of the MAOA gene, which previous research has dubbed the warrior gene because of its link to aggressive behavior. Those classified as nonviolent offenders did not have this gene. The second gene the researchers singled out is cadherin. Cadherin influences the brain's reward system, potentially affecting behavior after drinking alcohol or taking drugs such as amphetamines. Most violent crime in Finland is committed under the influence of alcohol or drugs. Before society starts screening everyone for these genes, the researchers emphasize the behavior is complicated and any decision is the result of many things, including environmental factors. Also, many people who never commit a crime have the two genes mentioned in the Finnish study. On a brighter note, for science exploration that creates learning adventures for the whole family, you're invited to this year's Super Science Saturday at the National Center for Atmospheric Research, also known as NCAR. This year's event will focus on measuring weather. This free event takes place this Saturday from 10 to 4 at NCAR's Mesa Lab in South Boulder. Starting this Friday, the Front Range Bioneers Conference will be happening in Boulder. 
I sat down with co-producer Robin Eden and panelist Mike Word yesterday to get a free preview of what's happening this year. Here with me is Robin Eden. Hi, Robin. Hi, Kendra. So happy to be here with you. And Mike Word. Uh, he's a natural builder and artist educator and also a Bioneers panelist. Hi, Mike. Peace, Kendra. Peace, <laughs> KGNU world. Thank you guys for coming. Uh, so tell me, Robin, a little bit about what Bioneers is. What is the vision? The vision for Bioneers is that we can live in a resilient community where everybody's skills come together and we're all taking care of each other and the planet at the same time. Bioneers started 25 years ago in New Mexico and California, and they've held conferences in California for 25 years. This is our 12th year here, um, hosted by CU Boulder Environmental Center, and we are so excited about the conference coming up in just a few days. Great. What are some of the initiatives or projects that Bioneers is a part of? So Bioneers is really unique in the way that there's not many other conferences that exist that honor everybody. Some of the um, initiatives are so inclusive. There's a women's leadership. There's indigenous knowledge and wisdom. Bioneers is a lot about restoring the food system, um, not only through just regular farming, but a lot of permaculture techniques and just all different kinds of amazing technologies coming from the people that care about the planet. So it's really exciting. We also have youth leadership, which is so amazing and so needed this, this day and age where we need youth to stand up and talk about, you know, the real important issues that they're, that maybe they don't necessarily get to talk about at school. So it's really important and exciting. So what's happening at this year's Front Range Bioneers? What's yeah. the format look like? Um, so the format is that a couple weeks ago, um, there was the national conference in just north of San Francisco, and tons of amazing keynote speakers came out. So we will be screening and broadcasting from California to Colorado. A lot of those keynote speakers scientists, artists, activists, builders, farmers, just talking about amazing projects that they're working on right now and a lot of their um, studies that could be pretty surprising, actually, as far as solution-based thinking. So tell me a little bit about uh, Paul Stemitz, because I think he's one of the scientists or mycologists who gave a keynote speech. Yeah, Paul Stamets is amazing. He's researching mushrooms with helping the bees and the beehives heal themselves from colony collapse disorder and all of the horrible things that are happening them through, to them through the chemical um, warfare that's happening to the bees right now. And so that is so inspiring to see that maybe there's hope for the bees, which means there's hope for the food supply. So we've got keynote speakers, and it sounds like there'll be a lot of panels that are also happening, so discussions going on. Yes, so beyond all of the amazing keynote speakers from California, we also have an awesome lineup. Uh, over, 30, uh, over 30, I believe, local sessions. There's tours, field trips. There's a lot of um, amazing indigenous 
youth and elders coming in to share their wisdom. There's scientists, there's spirituality, panel discussions or breakout groups. There's so many opportunities to get involved and also going there just to network and learn more about those opportunities. Great. And so, Mike, you'll be speaking on one of these panels. I think it's about natural building. What is natural building and why is it important? Yeah, natural building is an application of construction where we utilize the elements that have already been existing on the planet, like dirt. We call it ka when we mix clay and sand and straw together. It creates a strong substance that we use as a building material. Also, we use water, mm, sun. We utilize all the elements of of the planet, the natural phenomenons, to aid us in the construction of buildings, you know? And what's the second part of that question? Why is it important? It's important because a large percentage of housing in America and worldwide in the developed countries is very toxic. They're very toxic environments, and they are a major contribution to pollution and waste so natural building closes that loop reduces that impact on the planet's environment through and i think a a few other people on the panel are also part of the permaculture institute and robin you also mentioned permaculture what is this concept of permaculture permaculture is a design science Uh, this design science is based off of nature patterns that we observe in nature and we use these patterns to design our ways out of problems and to make decisions Uh, these these designs can be applied to financial situations uh, personal social artistic political spans all realms of living systems living environments but those Lessons were learned first in nature, in in the garden. That was Robin Eden, co-producer and Mike Word, panelist. For more info and to register, check out colorado.edu slash eCenter slash Bioneers or later today on our website. Registration is free for students and faculty and $55 for all three days for non-students. Robin mentioned also that there will be child and teen programs, so bring your kids along as well. You're tuned to How on Earth, the show that makes you smarter. I'm Shelley Schlender, and here with me in the studio is Boulder resident Tim Sheckley. Tim is one of six entrepreneurs who recently won a Boulder Energy Challenge grant. Now he's being featured by the National Institute for Science, Law, and Public Policy for a new article he's written about how rigorous analysis can help people determine among public service groups who's really trying to fulfill a public mission and who's just trying to fill their pockets. His new paper is titled Green Electricity or Green Money, Why Some Environmental Groups Hamper Clean Energy. Welcome, Tim. 
Thank you. Thank you, Shelley. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, we're talking about something that sounds kind of like a political topic. Can you put it into a scientific context? How you can look at something like a green energy group or, or an environmental group and say, well, well let's back up. Let's, let's have you go ahead and tell me, what's the connection between science and engineering and public policy? Well, pu- public policy needs to be informed by uh, scientific and, te- and technical issues, science and engineering. Policy can't be made all by itself, just on political grounds. Unfortunately, we lose sight of that sometimes. The technologies are socially constructed. Scientific elements get invented, and then they are reconstructed by society or when they're applied into products. And you know what? It seems to me like once somebody says, hey, this is a good idea, we kind of turn off our analytical minds and say, okay, let's do it. And one example of you challenging that was when the smart grid meters came out. You're a fan of smart grid technology for understanding how to channel power, but you don't like those smart grid meters. Right, and I actually designed some of those. I designed those systems years ago. This is the meters that go on people's houses. Yeah, the electric power, the remote reading meters, now called AMI, or uh, Advanced Metering Infrastructure. And you don't like them anymore. No, I think they're completely inappropriate, and they've been sold as the smart grid. They've been morphed together as a concept because they were the only thing that was available to be sold at the time the government wanted to spend billions of dollars. Now, Tim Sheckley, let's look at this word inappropriate. Let's expand that out into why scientifically you say, what is the heck with these smart grid meters? Why don't you like them? If you start by analyzing what needs to be done in a smart grid to control energy, it's the idea of balancing supply and demand, and particularly as we're moving into this more and more solar and renewable energy, it becomes a very challenging task. So you have to analyze the problem, and the meter doesn't contribute to that. When you really analyze it carefully, technically, it doesn't help do what needs to be done. Okay, so you have the smart grid. That's kind of like the traffic controller who's looking to see where are the plug-ups on the way from Boulder to Denver that you need to work around to get people moving. That's the smart grid. Right. It's a coordination process of data flowing into the house or into the building from the grid, not the other way. And so the meter, is it more like the National Security Administration just trying to find every little bit of nosy information they can, but not really, you know, what did they do with it? It was the low-hanging. They said, well, we can put these in and make a lot of money doing it because the utilities get to recover uh, their capital plus uh, 10% uh, on top of that. Oh, you're saying that there were a lot of governmental policies to promote these smart meters, but when it came down to it, they weren't really helping us allocate power more efficiently. Right, because the real smart grid is still in the laboratories, and I work on it. It's still in the labs. It's still being worked on, and it's not ready for prime time, although it's getting close. It's getting closer every day, and that's one of the the projects you referred to that, uh, earlier is one of those projects. But mm. it has nothing to do with meters. So the meter part, though, is something where the policy zoomed in there, gave a lot of support to this, and people did kind of putsy meters that didn't do much good, and siphon money away from more practical projects? Right. It was a bait and switch, basically. And my paper is about how the environmentalists played a role in in this bait and switch and not carefully analyzing the problem. Is this your new paper, the paper about smart meters? Right. The, this newly published paper. I had an earlier paper I published two years ago called Getting Smarter About the Smart Grid that is a more comprehensive paper about meters, but more about the energy system itself and where it needs to go. 
the new paper is focused more on uh, on the role of environmental groups they have played or not played in the, in helping that happen. But before we go to that other paper, I don't have to feel bad that I never got around to getting a smart meter. No, no, no. We, <laughs> we, it, it, yeah, the, the meter. <laughs> Uh, you don't need to worry about that. that there is we no, did that no in Boulder, and it this. got us absolutely nowhere. Okay, all right. So that's one paper that you have that's an older paper. Your new paper is about your issue with the fact that there are environmental groups who are well-known and famous, and as you look at the data on what they're doing, you're concerned that instead of furthering environmental causes, they're kind of cozying up to groups that give them money. Right. They've been lured into the money and they've lost track of their basic roots. Going back to 1970, their real roots came from the Earth Day uh, issues. Before we go into the history of them, should we go ahead and name some names? Yes. Well, particularly I focus in the paper on the role of the EDF, the Environmental Defense Fund, and its promotion and collaboration with utilities and promoting a smart meter. Okay. So Environmental Defense Fund is one of them. That name where it makes you think... It must be a wonderful group. It's the Environmental Defense Fund. Right, and I don't mean to diminish. They have done a lot of very good things in the past. They've just lost track of it. You're alleging that. We're going to hear some science Right, and that's what the paper's about. So what's the other group? The Natural Resources Defense Council. Here again, they had a very—I know the founders. They were very— they had played a very important role, but they have been lured away by the easy money that can be had from the oil and gas industry and, and the utility industry. And they've, they're, uh, what I deal with in the paper here is not the smart meters, but their role in, in uh, opposing what uh, the rooftop solar and the deployment of, of solar energy in the U.S. and the policy debate that's going on right now about net metering uh, tariffs and uh, how to bring solar rooftop solar into the power system. You mean that for people who want to get a solar panel on their roofs, right? which from what you can see scientifically from your point of view is economically a good idea. It's a revolutionary technology. Even if the solar panel I get today won't be as good as the one I get 10 years from now? No, it doesn't matter. The stuff is there today. And there's a, and the latest Scientific American has a wonderful article on it, uh, the whole story of rooftop solar and how it's revolutionizing the electric power system. Around the world. Around the world, yes. It's changing a lot of things. It's more protective against solar flares, for instance. Well, yes, yes, you because know. it allows what we call distributed generation, distributed energy and the prosumer. The idea that the con- you're not just a consumer of electricity, but also, you're also a producer. So even though it's not the greatest technology, it'll be 50 years from now, it's way better than those smart meters that well, were... it's better than coal power plants or nuclear power plants. Well, it's, there you it's, go. It's the way to go. All right. So you're alleging that this technology is better than the technologies that these two groups with that wonderful word defense in them have backed. That was the Environmental Defense Fund. And what's the other one? The Natural Resources Defense Council. And from the data that you have in your paper, you are saying from an objective standpoint, you're objecting to how they've done their missions. Right. I've, I've analyzed their, some of the positions they've taken and the, what they've done and what they've said and and how they have missed the boat, basically, not adequately analyzed uh, the technologies that they're promoting. Do they agree with you? Do they think they've gone bad? Well, I'm sure not. Uh, I've had discussions with people in their organizations, and actually some do and some don't. These are not monolithic organizations. They're composed of a lot of people, and they all have different viewpoints. But I think the leadership has gone astray. What about the chance to 
change the ship, move it in a new direction. Do you think these organizations could? Well, they they can, but they have budgets of over $100 million a year, and that's a tough thing to do. And when you get addicted to easy money, they used to get their money from the people. From the, They got their power from the people, from the lots of community activists all over the country. But now they've gotten addicted to the big money from oil and gas and from uh, the utility industry and from the pharmaceutical industries and all these other industries that they that are they're, they're turned they've morphed into lobbying organizations in Washington. Now, we're being a science show here, and you're using the term big money. I'm wondering, are you a capitalist or not? Well, I, I, I call myself a capitalist. I started two companies here in Boulder. One's nearly a, a billion-dollar company today. So, you know, I, I believe in capitalism, but I think it needs to be, be controlled. It needs to be tempered with uh, attention to the needs of the public and needs of society. There are people who would say that science is just asking questions, asking questions and looking for real data. Is that what you're asking for with these two environmental groups, is more people to look at the data about what kind of projects they back Yes, I'm asking them to do three things, basically, to look at the electricity system as a, as a whole system. I'm asking them to do their homework, to do independent technical analysis before they make their policy decisions, and then recognize that their power and electricity power comes from the people. It doesn't go to the people. It is from the people. So if they're getting most of their money from the big utility companies, they might not be answering to the right group? They're at risk in doing that and losing sight of their goals. Tim Sheckley, we'll include a link to your paper on our website, howonearthradio.org. How else can people find out about it? Well, there's also a website, uh, the original paper, and also the new paper will be posted on a website called gettingsmarteraboutthesmartgrid.org. GettingSmarterAboutTheSmartGrid.org, all one word. Well, thank you very much, and good luck with this. And for all scientists out there, we're not going to ask you to just hear Tim's opinion. We're going to invite you to read his paper and see what you think about it. Thank you again. I'm Shelley Schlender. Our guest has been Tim Sheckley. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Today's show was produced with the help of Beth Bennett. Our theme music is by Josh Cutler. Additional music from... From the KGNU Science Bins. Our website is howonearthradio.org. Questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Kendra Kruger. And I'm Shelley Schlender. 